Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. So we're here today with Mike Madrigal, Mr. Magic. How are you? Mike, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure, buddy. Thanks for having me. Here we are at the cellar of Sud, your, your home, your place, your reign, your, your territory. Yeah. And I thought we'd do what you do best, which is talk about some wine. Hope that's okay. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I pulled two bottles of wines that, you know, I love to smell. I love to taste. They really have a lot of um, complexity to them, and they're easy to talk about. So the first one I have is, um, it's a Alsatian Riesling. Okay. Weinbach, who, uh, you know, I, I was in Alsace in October and it was the first time I really figured out what they have there. And, you know, when, when people talk about Riesling, they talk about Germany and they talk about Austria, but Alsace seems to be... Kind of in between. It's like almost yeah. on neither pole, so it's sort of forgotten about somewhere. Right. But, you know, in this country... You have a guy like Terry Thies, mm-hmm. you know, and he's really shaped. An advocate. Right, of, of Austria and Germany. And so many people listen to that voice. Well, that's what I'm saying. But and, Terry loves Alsace. Right. I mean, he goes to Boxler every year. For sure. Yeah. But, I mean, he doesn't import it. He doesn't bring it in. He right. doesn't and, champion it. Right. And no one's championing the wines. And, you know, it's almost like you forget about it because right. it's not in your face all the time. And when I went there, I was like, what is going on that right. nobody is talking about these and wines? And also great cuisine, like a history of great restaurants. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of chefs that we think of as great French chefs are from that region. John George, you know, worked there for a long time. Well, you know, it's funny. It, the wines are so good with food. Is that true? Yeah. Well, I think so. Because, it's like one of those situations where they grew up together. Right. And, you know, most of the time they're dry. So the palate of food pairing is you know, exponential. It's, you do uh, it find them end. most of the time to be dry. Well, the ones that I, uh, I, I find that they're more often dry than German wines, for sure. Uh, are they more often dry than Austrian wines? I don't know. But so I feel like in the 80s when they first kind of took steam and people were talking about them, when you read about them in books, they would be dry. People would say, this is dry. Right. But then people started dealing with more ripeness and low yields. And then there was a question 
of whether it was going to be dry and you didn't know. And so then people like Zind had to add the Indies number. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. feel like sometimes you don't know whether it's going to be dry before you open it. Well, I think that was uh, that period was a, a period be- because of wine writers influencing, you know, what they liked and a lot of growers changing their style in order to sell the wines more. But it also like, frankly, that was the beginning of global warming. Like that was the first time we saw warm years where residual might, they just didn't know what to do with it. It was like, what, what are we going to do? Is we going to leave this in? Are we going to ferment it out? Is yeah. it going to be super high alcohol? And then sometimes you'd get like a Vendage Tardive and it would be somewhat dry. Yeah. Like it's late picked, Still like that now. But you wouldn't know if it would be sweet or not. Like right. You, some of the terminology is a little vague. Like if you get a late picked wine somewhere else, you're pretty much sure that that's going to be sweet. But right on, right on. And they're, and they're working towards that. They're definitely working towards some sort of scale on the back of the bottle where a sliding scale that tells you how dry it is or how sweet it is from one to 10. I feel like they give you some and they take some away. It's like, okay, we're going to give you the right to vote, but you can no longer have sex with underage women. Like, we're going to, we're going to give you something and take it away. Because it's like, they give you, what do you mean? The grape variety. Mean. They give you right. grape variety. Right. But they don't give you always vineyard. You know, sometimes people suppress whether it's a grand crew or not. And they but don't that's always. the old school guys. Because they don't believe in the But they're system. huge producers. And they, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they don't give you whether it's sweet or not. So it's like some of the fundamentals are there, which might not be there in other parts of France. But then some of the other fundamentals aren't. It's somewhat difficult. Mm, yeah, I mean, there's no easy answer. Ever, you know, especially yeah, with this wine. global marketplace, for <laughs> right. sure. You know, there is no easy answer. And they're, and they're working towards it, which, you know, they're trying. And I, I'm okay with that. Oh, but, yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah. I'm certainly okay with it. I just... But, I, I wonder, in terms of broad outreach, whether it might be easier to sell if some of the information were there. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, sometimes you look at a German wine label, you're like, almost too much information. For sure. And and at the same time, you know, this discovery of Alsatian wine that I had was my own personally. You know, it's the fact that it isn't everywhere and sure. not a lot of people are talking about it. Sure. It makes it more personal. So tell us a little bit about that. You went on a trip. I mean, what went was Went on a like? trip. No, it was great. It was uh, it was organized by Paul Greco. He's always been such a fan. I mean, I, I remember being at a tasting, standing next to him, and having producers from us. I was like fist pound him. <laughs> it was like early kiss er, the ring. Early in the fist pounding <laughs> rain, when it was still like a super hip thing to do before right. like Hootie and the Blowfish kind of right. made it like uh, you know what you did if you were sort of whatever <laughs> so like you know it was like a major i was like god these guys know him and they all like paul and- right well he's i think he's helped riesling sell in this city without a doubt and he wanted to organize a trip to alsace a small trip with a couple people and you know a lot of, it was done by the the wines of alsace you know trade company or okay. or, or pr company or whatever the heck it is and it was, uh, we could organize it exactly on how we wanted it. Oh. So we could say, we want to go to this person, and we want to go to that person, and we want to go to this person, and we don't want to see that person, even though he does pay money for the Wines of Alsace account. We really just want to taste what we want to taste. And they were okay with it. And that was great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, determining your own <clears throat> itinerary is huge, because a lot of times you have to go to these producers you don't like on those kind of like right. junkets, and then you're like, oh. But that's the norm. I mean, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right. that, and that's how it is. But right. this time, we were able to really be in control of it, and, and kudos to, uh, to Paul for to that. To Paul, yeah. Yeah. And I was happy I was invited. But, I mean, we just visited everybody. So what were some of the real highlights? I mean, what did you take back? I mean, I saw some pictures of vineyards that were pretty stunning from yeah. that trip that you took. 
Yeah, the um, it is it's so beautiful, and Alsace is one of those lucky regions in Europe, in France, that wasn't bombed right. during the First World War or the Second World War. So these these homes are unbelievable, mm -hmm. and they're from the 15th century. Really? Going back, yeah, it's like uh, it's like Walt Disney World, but real. Right. You know, you see these homes, you're just like, damn, I can't believe people still live in here. Right, it is. It's like a perfect quaint area. Mm -hmm. I feel that way about Japan sometimes. Yeah, like oh my god, I can't believe this is so old. Right, you know. Right, I mean, just blowing you away. When you come from America, where old is two hundred years, and then you go somewhere else where old is two thousand years. Yeah, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was that it was eye-opening for that reason. And as well seeing the landscape of how beautiful it is and how steep the vineyards are and how dry it is and that whole story about Alsace and it's you know the it's terroir and the fact that you know you have these mountains called the Vosges mountains mm -hmm. that divide Alsace on the in the east, on the east. and Lorraine on the west mm -hmm. and they're divided by you know the the Vosges mountains Lorraine is the wettest part of France. Right. And they don't grow anything there in terms of uh, grapes for wine. And Alsace is the driest part of France outside of Roussillon. Yeah. And the, the defining factor, the difference, is the mountains. And right. they're on the, uh, the right side of the mountains. And that is the coolest thing. When, the you, rain shaft. when you think about it, yeah. you know, with tectonic shift, well, they have like tons of different soil types there. As well, yeah. I mean, there's right? so much. There's so much different types of soil, from from limestone to granite to slate to volcanic soil, clay. I mean, where sand. else do you see that mix? You all don't see within you know hundred meters. You know, really. Yeah, I think maybe Sicily. Yeah, I think one. You know, so, yeah. uh, something like that. But it, and when you taste the grapes that are grown on granite versus limestone, they're totally different. Yeah, totally. Granite totally different. Speaks so differently. Uh, yeah. Really amazing. And that was the real cool part for me, and just trying to get to know the saltiness that you taste in a riesling from granite and the saltiness you taste from a riesling from limestone are two different things, and that just you know puts your mind kind Art? of yeah like, off kilter. Yeah. You're like, what is this? But that's the coolest thing. You know, that's the most exciting part is when that's you the best see part of like wine. a whole new landscape like yep. that. And you're like, whoa, yep. this has got a lot going on to mm -hmm. it. So you brought back a wine. What, what do we have? Uh, this is, uh, this, you know, 2010 in Alsace, as I was tasting, really uh, is a fantastic vintage. Yeah, I was calling your name a little bit. Yeah, like, because oh, it's cold. It yeah, because it's cold. You know, it was a cold vintage. So the acid's so the like, acid's high. Zinger. Right. You know, and when, when the vintage is... like the Boston I just brought up. Zinga! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wicked. Sorry. It's, uh, you know, you can smell it on the nose that it's a cold vintage because the, the, everything seems so precise. The aromas <clears throat> and the freshness of the wine. Yeah, really, you can smell freshness. It's not true that you can't smell acid. You know, sometimes people no. are like, you can't smell acid. And you're like, really? Because I... <laughs> Well, how it, I, mean, I mean, how it expresses itself is freshness, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know Sorry, how it's man. integrated, but like you can smell, you know, yeah. the fresh. DJ and, Jazzy Jeff here. Right. And, and, you know, I love smelling these wines because there's so many different uh, pieces to it, you know, kind of in harmony. You know, the acid and then there's that mineral quality and then it's like the, the yellow peach and... Um, so everyone's got their own tech tasting technique. Can we get on microphone here your like swishing and swirling move? Can we get can we get the you know pulling you it through, pulling it through the palate? Can we get the you're blowing air through it over the over the tongue? Oh yeah, get in there. Get mm. in there. Hear it. Oh yeah, that sounded good. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, what do you taste? You know, I just taste uh, this wine pulls my my mind in different places, and that's what I really want. You know, it's like when you have um, like Szechuan food, you know, and it's kind of it's hot and it's kind of sweet, and you don't know where it's pulling you next. And all that does, it just makes your mind move. It's like, wow, where is this taking me? And that's what I want in wine. You know, I want complexity. I want to not know where it's going. That's a great definition of complexity, not knowing where it's going. Yeah, and just like going with it. And that's the thing about wine. You know, you, you can't shoot it and then hang it on the wall. And say, yeah, I conquered it. Yeah. Never. Now I can go home. And now I can go home and, and, and read a comic book. Right. No. Yeah, yeah. It's, What's it's, on TV? <laughs> right. It, it's like, take me places. I'm listening to you. Yeah. Where, where are we going? Do you find that like the great sommeliers are great listeners? I find like if they're not listening, it's like there's no ball game. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're, you're reciting brands if you're not a listener. You're an empty suit yeah. if you're not listening. If you're trying to own it and shoot it. And put it on the wall, and, and you know, Cause ha- have your badge and this and that. No. Changing in a bottle, it's you know every year is different. Producers change up the style a little bit now and again. Right. There's a redefinition of technique that they might be using. I right. mean, I find as you get more and more into it, it's like, oh my, it's You're like I don't know anything. No, it's like going through that, like you know, <laughs> in 2001 when he goes to the, he's the last guy, and he makes it, and they go to the. The, the monolith and all of a sudden all these lights are going by him and it's like i don't even you know we thought we were going to go visit this one color the black monolith and now there's a billion lights in the sky right and i don't even i can't even keep up they're right. zipping by me so fast right making my like, head spin that's the experience but only that one guy made it that far you know what i mean like not mm-hmm. everyone can see all of that like mm-hmm. the more you get into it the more it gives you back yeah. yeah it's it's never being you know always being curious Never being, never making it, never getting there. Always on the journey. Always wanting to learn more. Always wanting to taste more. That's what I want to do. So what are you hearing from this wine in particular? Here we have a, a Riesling Schlossberg from Domaine Weinbach in the 2010 vintage from Alsace. Um, that's what we know from the label. What do you hear from the wine? Well, it's, it's just, you know, you, as soon as you taste it, you, you get the ripe the ripe fruit, you know, it's not that bone dry style, but it's also not the, the, the high residual sugar style. It's like this soft in between where you're getting some dry factors and you're also getting some really ripe factors and, uh, always with great reason, the salinity in the wine. And that's just really making it uh, a mouthful of flavor. And, uh, it's, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's making me think it's making me want to eat food. Yeah, I find it like yeah, it's making my mouth water with that kind of potency of the ripeness, but then also the acidity. That I mm-hmm. think of that as like a food pairing machine. Yeah, like it can just go with so much for sure. And there's also like this crunch, like this stone crunch mm-hmm. that is just like sometimes when I'm like, hey, this wine has minerality. People are like, what do you mean by that? Or like that seems weird that there'd be rocks in a wine. How would you respond to a question like that? Like what? What minerality or rocks? Yeah, I mean, what? Well, are what these? is minerality? What are we I talking mean, about? that's a great question. What? Uh, what do I define it as? Like, oh well, I don't eat rocks, so why? Why would I want that in my wine? Why? <laughs> why would they want that in a wine? Maybe you have a better answer. Well, than you know, I think it's easy to make a wine that tastes like fruit. Okay, it's it's not. I mean, it's a you great just beverage. you just right. You just okay. It tastes like black cherries. Great. 
mm-hmm. but when a wine tastes like earth or the 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 rock that it's grown upon that's interesting and how that how might that have happened what do we think some of the I think it's good are? it's good husbandry in the vineyards from the winemaker number 1 so it, you think sometimes people might not have allowed it to speak through for sure kind of, for, from being lazy or using pesticides or using uh using uh, uh, tractors to to uh, to harvest the grapes, sure. So like the latent potential is there and it's somebody's job Being not squandered. to screw that up. Yeah. You know, it's laziness more than anything else and not having the desire to do something great. So how would you set this wine that we're drinking here, this Riesling Schlossberg from Weinbach, apart from some of the more lazy uh, examples in, in the history that you've tried? I mean, what do you think about this wine that kind of like, whoa. Well, like, okay, number one, like, do you taste oak in this wine? I don't. Know. Zero. And is it vinified in oak? Yep, it is. Okay, that's number one. That's like a, a good touch with the barrel mm-hmm. and making sure the barrel doesn't influence the wine so much that it shows when you taste it. Got it. Um, also, the the acidity in the wine. You know, the wine is clean. Mm-hmm. You know, there when they harvested the grapes, it still had you know a certain amount of acidity that they realized. Okay, this is the this is the amount we need to carry the wine from from not having it be too heavy. Got it. And also, you get the ripeness, and it's it's beyond ripe. I mean, this is more than just ripe. It's a little extra, and it balances well together. You know, it's a juggling act. And there's a lot of factors to this wine that are all kind of singing with each other in a chorus. And nothing is falling apart. So that's kind of it, like multiple voices together in harmony. Harmony, in chorus, yeah, sure. Complex, but still not disjointed. Is that? Yeah, and nothing is out of whack either. There's nothing showing too much. Everything is kind of, you know, they're all in the same line. Not one head is higher than the rest. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of together. Sometimes I think of it as like a superconductor. You know how like you get a superconducting metal down to a certain temperature and then everything flows, mm-hmm. you know, but if it's not in harmony, then it doesn't go that fast anymore. Like there has to be that the moment. Gets lost. It just takes you. you yep. Know? Yeah, man. I like this a lot. So what do you find yourself pairing this wine with? <sighs> Forget about it. Anything. 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 The world is your oyster. Okay. So you want to you do something local. It, to Alsace, you do chacrut. Uh, okay, What's right. That? You do sauerkraut, sauerkraut, and sausages, and pork belly, and head mm. cheese, and blah 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 blah. You know, and a little bit of potato salad. And that's a local dish, like a German potato salad with mustard and lardon. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I could see that going. Really awesome. Well with this. You want to do Asian? No problem. You know, so, the, it's got enough body to really deal with heat. Maybe a good idea for a BYOB Chinese dinner. No doubt. And, uh, you know, I like that. I think this could work with spicy Chinese food uh, as well as like the really sweet German Rieslings because it has the body. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got enough ripeness. There's that ripe fruit. Right. And it, it'll it'll work with heat. But at the same time, that that um, it's still a little dry and the acid is so high that it can almost like extend the heat. Where a lot of times German wines, they put out the heat. This'll handle the heat and then and then like raise the oh, roof. That's an interesting point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because it's like why did you go to have Szechuan food if you're just gonna damp the fire out? Right. Maybe like see the 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 broad character of this heat, like how you can play with it. Yeah. You know? Like stoke the flame yeah, a little. Yeah, make it a blue flame. It's yeah. like Cub Scouts. <laughs> White hot. You know? man. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, oh, let's do it. Yeah, let's tell some tales over the campfire. <laughs> yeah. This, so I think you could do so many different things. And you find how are you pairing in this wine at the restaurant that you work in? What are you uh, making happen with this wine? Well I mean for 
you know, for barbalude, it, it would work amazingly well with just the charcuterie because of the saltiness and the fattiness of it. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that is a perfect pairing because it has enough body and it does have the saline character. And at Sued, uh, with Mediterranean flavors, okay. with the sea salt and the lemon and uh, so all the... These are two different restaurants with two different cuisines, but you do the wine list for both. Yeah. And this wine is available in both restaurants. Yes, absolutely. And I think it would work great with... Um, like, you know, the Rouget, for example. Okay. It would work white, beautifully. White fish. Yeah. White. As long as it's seasoned right, mm -hmm. you know, with some lemon and some sea salt. Awesome. Almost, almost like simple seasoning might be best. really nice. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is like the, uh, it's like the trump card in your pocket. Like you can do a lot of different things with right. it. You can pull out this ace anytime. For a lot of time, for a lot of different things, yeah. Somebody's sitting at home and they're thinking to themselves, ah, oh, Riesling, you know, I've heard about it. I don't drink a lot. Uh, what would you say to these people who wanted to explore the category a little bit more? What are some things that they should keep in the back of their mind when they're out looking for a bottle like this or a bottle that they should also kind of gateway themselves into? Wow, that's a checking the category. That is a question that is uh, it's it's a hard, it's kind of hard to answer. Um, you know, whenever one whenever someone asks me that, like, how do I learn more about wine or where can I get great wines and and where I'm going to learn about them? Mm -hmm. And I think the first step. I always say this is finding the right shop. Okay. Developing a relationship with yeah. somebody who knows. Yeah. You know, there's so many great shops, number one in the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, world-class. Mm -hmm. You go to Astor Wine and Spirits, you go to Chamber Street Wines. I mean, those guys, the people that work there are passionate and they understand wine. Got it. And if you just put yourselves in their hands and just ask them, hey, I want to learn about Riesling and I've heard about German Riesling and Alsatian Riesling and Austrian Riesling. And I want to have a mixed case of all of them and uh, all different types. Mm -hmm. Can you do that for me? I think that's the way you learn. But say a step before that, what should they be expecting in terms of flavor set? I mean, if they were going out to buy a Riesling, what might they think they would find in a bottle if they just never had one before? Well, uh, you know, there's so many different styles of Riesling. So I, I would say... If I could generalize, aromatics, number one. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's... Aromatically complex. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so like the finest white burgundy or red burgundy, there's real character to the what's going on in the nose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Riesling really has inherent uh, particular aromas that, don't, that aren't available in any other grape. And I think that's why a lot of people love them. Uh, it's, it's just so... Not fleeting, but there's just so much to it, and it can be made in so many different styles. And it's one of those. It w it could be the greatest grape in the world because, for sheer amounts of styles that it pulls off and does well, you know, you can do dry, no problem. Bone dry, no problem. You can do sparkling. You could do off dry. You could do full blast sweet, and they're all good. And that's why it's really, it's, it's something special. So it's hard to really say what Riesling is like in general, aside from it's really aromatic and it usually has high, high acidity and it's very food friendly and it doesn't do well with oak and it's all right there immediately. Well, I think that's a good start. <laughs> and you have another one here. I wonder if we might go over that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. Different color. Different place. Yes, yes. Let okay. me pour you first. Let me make it very difficult for you to pour by <laughs> hiding that behind the, the pitcher. Yeah, See this... See if the true sommelier skills can can do the zigzag pour. <laughs> I've, I've done it 
too often. Yeah, and, he, and you succeeded today, I'll note for the, the mm. record. You know, I love... Uh, Ooh, that's a familiar smell. That smell that. good, huh? Yeah. I always love uh, the underdog wines. And I guess red burgundy in general is far from an underdog wine. As, as a general category. Sure. As a general category, Seems yeah. Seems like it's on fire. <laughs> yeah. And it is, you know, the most expensive wines in the world for the most part. And, uh, you know, it's... There's but certainly no, there's a reason. It's not like people are no, throwing money away. It's well-deserved. Yeah, it's definitely well-deserved. And uh, so this wine we have here is one of those forgotten about places in Burgundy that okay. no one really cares about. And, uh, you know, the wines don't sell for much. And a lot of the times, for, re for good reason, because this comes from the Cote Chalonnaise in the south of Burgundy. Okay. And the soil is different than in the Cote d'Or. And the exposure is different uh, than the Cote d'Or as well. So when we think of the Cote d'Or, that's Chambol, that's Gevray, that's yeah. Bellini. Yeah. And then this is an area that's somewhat to the south and kind of abutting that yeah. area. And kind of uh, uh, heterogeneous because there's some good pieces of land and there's other garbage pieces of land. So there's uh, some wines are good, some are not. You know, you, the vintage the vintage variation is really, really, uh, really shows in this region as well. I think of it as heterogeneous. Sometimes generous with you, sometimes <laughs> not. <laughs> right, it's true. It's true. So what? So which one did you pick out for us? So this is a Mercury. Oh, okay. A, a 2009 Mercury from a producer named Pio, P-I-L-L-O-T. Which Pio is this? Because I know there's like a billion. It's Jean-Michel and Laurent. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's yeah. someone I, heretofore, I, I had never tasted before. Yeah, I, you know, I've had Jean Pio and I've had uh, J period Pio. Right. But, you know, there's so many Pios. It's, it's a... Right. It's, it's like a, Marco Polo. Yeah, you, you, you don't really know. don't. Yeah, You're yeah. calling them, which one is it? It, and this, I, I tasted this wine for the first time. A rep brought it in for me to taste. And you know how it is, mm. Levy, mm. when you, uh, you're like, okay, I'll have an appointment with you. And, sure. and you have this no-name Burgundy, uh, you know, to, to you, you've never heard of the it. The sympathy appointment. Right. Oh, for dude, the most part, it was. I seen you in a while. Right, right. I feel bad for you. You just yeah. left your job. You're trying to get, you know, you're trying to sell your portfolio now and you're starting from zero for the most part. So let's, let's try to find something to, to put on the list for you. And he, he gave me this wine to taste where he poured me a glass of it. And I, was, I wasn't expecting anything. And sure enough, the wine is great. How long did it take you to note that this was delish? Like uh, all it, of about a half second. Yeah, like about, a second. Like you're just like, from boom. <laughs> just you're smelling, you're like, whoa. Oh, took you back. Yeah. And it, it, it's great uh, about 09. Here, Matt. You oh, it is some? 09. Yeah, it's obvious, you know. Because oh. it's so, the you nose. the Gary Vaynerchuk thing? You're like ask, asking the... The production guy, if he wants a sippy sip, <laughs> sniffy sip. <laughs> Get the camera in on here. Get the, oh, there's no camera. Okay. But the nose immediately. What do you think about those jets? It's tasty. Yeah. <laughs> the jets are tasty. <laughs> the nose is really ripe yeah. and fresh. So perfumey. And like wow, that and that's 09. and 09 in the best pieces of land. Like you go to Von Romani and you taste 09s. and sometimes they're they're just too much. Mm -hmm. They're overripe. They're they're flabby and they're not what you're looking for. And then you go to this. So it's like George Foreman now, as opposed to George Foreman when he was doing. Yeah, Ali. I guess so. You know, I he's, he's so. a big man. Or Butterbean or someone a like little that. bit uh, soft. <laughs> Just yeah, soft around the the belly. And then you go to the the somewhat poorer Appalachians, where they don't have 
as great exposure to the sun. Sure. And you get something like this where, where it's perfectly ripe. In a cool year, it could be a little under. Right. In a cool and, year, it tastes like rust. And in a warm year, it sings. So when would you think the drinking window for this wine would be? I mean, is this kind of something you'd be all over now, or would you put some of this away for a while? Really tasty, by the way. Thanks Sorry. for sharing. No, of course. Sorry, I was just tasting. I mean, I think it'll improve in five years. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's meant to be consumed for its charm, as far as I'm concerned. So tell us a little bit about uh, about Red Burgundy. I mean, what do we have here? This is Pinot Noir. Yeah. It's it's the ancestral home of Pinot Noir. It is uh, the sine qua non of Pinot Noir, and I don't say that as the wine sine qua non. Right, man. But Crankle the term, the term deep. sine qua non. It is the greatest place in the universe to grow that grape, and uh, and it's become a big universe. I mean, a lot of people like Burgundy so much that they've planted a lot of Pinot Noir in other places, and doesn't always translate the same way. I think. No, I don't think it ever translates the same way. And uh, it's, you know, it, that's what's great about wine, too, and reading about wine. And you you really see all of the work that has been done over thousands of years by, you know, the Romans and the Greeks. And I think the most important people, the, the monks. The monks. The monks who really paid attention to the vineyards and the soil and you know, writing down information every single year yeah. about okay, this vineyard produced amazing wine, and this one not so much. Well, the fact that they were writing down anything, you know, we owe that to the monks too, right? You know, just the development of something that passed on through the generations, whether it be in written form or vinous. You mm-hmm. know, it's mm-hmm. really pretty incredible when you think about the heritage that we got from them, uh, without a doubt. And we we owe it and art, for sure. You know, the history, food, of art, cheese. You know, yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe things would have been very, very different, you know, if it had not been that, that kind of monastic culture in Europe. Yeah, it's, and, and a lot of it is like religious fervor as well. Right. They really bring that attention, which is the most attention you can ask for really, uh-huh. to the endeavor. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it's just, uh, it, it, you, I feel indebted sometimes. Like, I'm, I feel so fortunate to, tra- to taste these wines. And uh, because I didn't really do anything. Yeah. It's like we grew up with the silver spoon in our mouth, right. except it, it's a toss of vinegar and it contains scrambled <laughs> burgundy. Right. And th- I mean, this is thousands of years of work yeah. that we can, you know, wax poetic about. Right. And, and you know, pontificate about. But I just got out of high school and it's ready for me. Right. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, yeah, I always. Two minutes ago, I was watching like Voltron and now I'm drinking like, <laughs> right, like something that took a long secrets time. Secrets of, of history. Right. You know, and and it's that, and then it's also you know the house style you get, and uh, I always related. I was really, um, I was really lucky in the the way I grew up, and my my family they were Italian immigrants, and my grandmother was such a great cook, and you know the recipes that she had that we would you know feast upon that that the the family would sit down and eat was so special and i think this the the winemaking it's a recipe from the family we're really tasting you know the family's recipe it's almost like we're sitting at their dinner table and and tasting what they have to contribute so to let's wine talk about that a little bit i mean yeah. i don't think it's ever come up. We know each other pretty well, and and I've never heard too much about those early days. I'd love to hear more about that. I mean, what was it like sitting around the the dinner table with this family? 
What in my family? Yeah, uh, you know, it was. Uh, it's uh, that's where I learned everything. Yeah, in life. So yeah, yeah it's like everything I needed to learn. I, I, I at, did at Mama's. Yeah, it was cool table. because my family. We uh, were from Philadelphia, and we had a butcher shop, and we all worked there. Like my grandmother and my great aunt and my great uncle and my my grandfather and my cousins and my dad, and we all worked there. So how often did your relatives threaten to cut you with some sort oh, of every sharp night. knife if they, you didn't like clean your room or something? I, yeah, I was always like the little punk. That they would just kind of like. We're gonna make you into sausage get out one of here. day if you don't yeah. behave. <laughs> I, I I remember like my grandfather talking about me to my dad, overhearing them, and he would be like, "That Mike, he's chicken shit. He doesn't oh, yeah? Do, yeah, just like he you know, can't hack it. He, he's like not, tough guy stuff. He's soft. Yeah, well, and you know that that was you know. A, so a, how did it, how did you affect that? No, I just kind of I, I didn't th- I didn't take it to heart, but you know it's just growing up around your family, who you know for more or less don't really buy into your bs and right. you know and the feedback loop is pretty strong yeah like they're quick the to criticism give you the opinion yeah absolutely and and it just kind of it it made me see things you know beyond my my what was in front of me mm-hmm. you know it's it's working together with your family there was a chain behind you too, yeah like of of history and yeah experiences and you that. have to fall in line but you know, it, it's good to have that. But then I was lucky because I, I broke out of it and I and I left. And I could have been a butcher. I've, I could have inherited the butcher shop. But I decided, you know what, Dad, uh, Uncle Danny, I don't want it. So I, wa- I want to move to New York. What were some of those early palate experiences like? I mean, what were you tasting? When I was a kid, you know, we just uh, meat, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. my grandmother was such a great cook. Is it true? Oh, man. She was really amazing. And the greatest thing was we would work. We'd work all week together. And then Saturday night, she would have us all over for dinner. Okay. And, you know, it was it was pork roast. And it was, you know, these special, uh, you know, pastas she make by hand. And meatballs. And just like really, you know, passing the plate around. It is. And just, it really taught me about food. Of what good food is, and when, you know, when I was younger, we never went out to eat ever, right. yeah, because like, like my grandfather, he never ate at McDonald's, right? Because he was like, why would why I ever would I go do there? That? Yeah, you know, every time we go out to eat, it's never as good as we have it at home, right? So we never went out to eat, and it seems like you've kind of swung back to that because I, I remember, you know, you used to be in the more business side of wine, kind of uh, as a sales rep, but it seems like you didn't want to be uh, a Apart from the pleasures of the table, no. it seems like you came back to that path. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. You know, you think you, you know, when I, it, it all comes back from my family. You know, I, when I graduated college, I was like, there's no way I'm working at a restaurant. I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Oh. I am not going to do this again. Got it. I'm not going to, you know, be using my hands. Right. So when I graduated, I was like, I'm not doing this. I, I don't want to work at a restaurant. Even though I've really learned to love wine, Yeah. I'm not going to be sweating every night. Got it. And ripping my my suits from bending over and picking up cases. Right. And, Which is and, very and, much reality. Right. You know, I, I'm not going to sweat like that because I went to college. Right. And then, like, you know, I worked for a, for a, big, uh, a big company, you know, in the wine business. You know, I thought I could have the best of both worlds. And I realized that it wasn't for me. Yeah. And it, it did not please me at all. So here you are and you're making the connections uh, for people at the table. But you know what I also see about you that's really pretty cool is that 
you're doing a lot of outreach kind of in social media, using the Twitter a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit, I should say a lot. You have quite a following. Um, it's something that people seem to, they seem to look to you, to follow you. And they, a lot of people almost seem to be kind of imitating your style. I mean, now it's like very common for a sommelier to tell other sommeliers about like a bottle that he opened during service. <laughs> I think, I don't know, it's weird to say that you pioneered, you know, opening a bottle during service, but you certainly pioneered like kind of mentioning it at uh-huh. the end, like, hey, this is a great bottle that I opened tonight. And now it's like, even the way you talk about it with the three adjectives, mm-hmm. I find like guys talk about it, wine with three adjectives and a period. And like, right. not, they can't even use the, the colon or right. semicolon. Like they, <laughs> they still use the period. It's like, right. you know, one word period, one word period. It's like that style um people responded you mm-hmm. know you always tell when someone kind of imitates a style or copies a style that like it resonated uh-huh. and when it's so broad like that how did you kind of get into um not just talking to people about wine on the floor but also kind of talking about it through computers through the internet what was that progression well, you know i well i guess it started with uh you know the the big bottle that's how I signed up for Twitter. Okay, so something you did at Bar Blue, which you still do today, where you open up a large format right. bottle of wine each night, different wine. And pour it by the glass. And you wanted to kind of tell people what you were opening up each night in a way that didn't require like newsprint and like sure. delivery service. Well, I also, honestly, I wanted to sell the bottle. You wanted people to come in for yeah. it. Yeah. Because if it just sits there, then. Right. Like, that's the worst. Like, I hate wasting, wasting wine. It. Especially when it's something that's really Really cool. good. Yeah. Right. You know, and you're opening up a 91 uh, Montrachet, yeah. a six-liter bottle of 91 Montrachet. Here's the legacy of the monks, and we're going to pour it down the drain. Right, and, yeah. that, and that's what it is, because it isn't proper to, to throw that stuff out. It's not only bad for business, but it's wrong. Right. You know, you have to... Oh, missed it, You legacy. respect wine, yeah. yeah. Respect, respect the, the sweat. Speaking of that, I'll have another sip. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that was, you know, the idea. I wanted to sign up for Twitter because of that. What, um, why Twitter? I mean, it, you're such a presence on there now. I think for the wine community, everybody follows Mike, everybody knows what's going on with Mike Magical. Mm-hmm. Um, why that vessel? Why not a blog? Why not Facebook? It just seemed to make sense, yeah. And I also have a short attention span, mm-hmm. and, well, me too. What? <laughs> Hold on, what? but you know what I mean? What now? What? <laughs> like, I've tried to have a blog, and, I, and you and I have spoken about this, and I don't update it as much as I'd like to because it's hard for me to really sit still. Uh, for well, a for a, a lot of energy, yeah, for a for a certain amount of time, and uh, Twitter if you could just hire a cameraman to follow you around though, <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nuts. You need a steady camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Twitter seemed to really fit my personality. So in and out, you could just send in off and the out, thing, short attention span, picture, sound bite, boom. bang bang, yeah. done. And it, and people responded. People came in the door as a result. I believe. Yeah, that that's it, that was really the amazing when people were really coming in for it and seeing that happen. And you, and know, you would do the funniest tweets. I remember the one where like the, the Beaujolais large format and you <laughs> gave it to the hot dog vendor and you're like, it was so New York, you yeah. know? It was like, here's the, the dirty water hot dog man. And you're like, you were like, what'd you say? Like, Sharif loves slappier mags. And he was like holding the mag. Holding the, yeah. I mean, that's gotta be like one of the all time funniest tweets of ever. Nah, that's you're too kind. But you know, it was just something. It all it all comes from boredom, and I don't want to do the same thing all the time. Right. I hate being bored. I I can't sit still. It it, it just like 
I have to come up with something else. And not so everybody can like it, just for myself. Right, right, right. You know, the, you're I, not happy unless I'm not happy like, unless it's like doing something, something else. Something's kind of cool. Yeah, something's like clicking. Yeah. And uh, that's it. You know, it's it's just being restless all the time and bored and, uh, and, and you know, believing in what I'm talking about and trying to express my love for wine. I think that comes through. Yeah. I mean, with the big bottle thing, I think people will really, I mean, excuse me, I think with the, the best bottle I opened mm-hmm. the night program that you do where at the end of the night you talk about one wine that really stood out for you in the evening you describe mm-hmm. it. I find that what people are really responding to is that love. Yeah. Like, I think that's really the thing. Thanks, where people man. are like, oh, man, I also like wine. I also feel that. Right. Like that that kind of like, I just want to share this with you kind of moment. Yeah. And that's really what it comes from. And, you know, when you and I work on the floor together, it's just like, there's a buzz. When we start opening up those great wines, it is. The woohoo moments? Yeah. It is the greatest I'll thing. I'll tell you what. It is I, the I'm, greatest thing. I'm going to tell everyone in the studio audience or <laughs> right now, there is nothing better. <laughs> Than a Mike Magical that's opening up a lot of bottles of wine that he likes because he turns into like an animated like thing. You know, it's like that one of those fun. old. Remember when you grew up and they had like the cartoons that were also like live action. Like it was like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and like dudes would like go into the cartoon world. You know, remember? Mm. Like he, he would go on one side of the, yeah. the frame and different, you'd be like different a, world. a regular guy. And then the other side, you're like a cartoon world. Dude, you like explode into like. The most animated guy of all time. It's wonderful. I love it too. It's it's actually irreplaceable. Actually, that's the great experience is seeing how excited you get. Well, I, you know, it just um, and that's why I feel so happy because you can. I found it. This is what I yeah, have. I it know is. it. That's it. That's what I want to do. I want to be around wine. I want to do stuff with wine. My whole for for my whole, entire life. Yeah. You know, I love music too, but wine is just. It's everything that I, I I've ever wanted to 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 make as a career and have as a hobby and and talk about with friends and and have with my family and and have every day i mean jesus how lucky are we and we get to consume it i mean it becomes a part of us you know in a way with music i don't know it becomes as personal like we certainly listen to it we certainly Mm -hmm. take it in we certainly it affects our mood maybe in a certain way like wine does affects our mood but like it, it, I don't think of us as consuming it the same way. Do you? I no, know. I know what you mean. Like music is definitely, I agree, is much more personal. And wine is communal. And that's like the celebration. It's like going to church when everybody's there and you share. And that's why wine is great because we're all sharing it. And if you're, if you're down, you're buzzing and we buzz off each other. So it actually is kind of like it, with that viewpoint in mind, it's kind of like it was written that you would discover the big bottle program. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like the part that jazzes you is the part where you share it with other people. Oh, yeah. And then that's the best part. You would get more jazzed if you shared it with more people. Yes. And, you know, yes. you you are the apostle of big bottles. <laughs> you can kind of see that connection there right. of, of someone who's like, well, yeah, this is fun. Let's make it more fun by having more. More you know people I mean? having it. Right. But because, you know, it's true. And if you ever have a great bottle of wine by yourself, it's not that great. It's a lonely experience. It, it is very 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 lonely I it's not that, fun uh, i don't like to drink wine at home mm-hmm. i it's, does your wife doesn't drink it with you well i mean before i got married i should say uh-huh. um now it's and now i actually have a problem keeping wine at home, but, <laughs> but uh back in the day mm-hmm. I, I would find that a wine tasted the same wine tasted so much better at work I mean, part of it was the good glasses and, you know, the right, the right atmosphere and everything. Right. But I would go home and I would open up a bottle of Gigandar or whatever. And it just, you know, you're sitting there on your, like, 
beat up old couch and you're drinking. It just doesn't feel like a special thing. Yep. You know, but you would go to this place and there would be this atmosphere or I don't know. I think it's also the respect that people bring to wine in those places. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, it's just my house. So I have no real, there's no. Yeah. Yeah. I I found that I, I enjoyed to drink the wine so much more in the communal setting. It's 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 really the truth. It's not as fun if you're by yourself. And I think part of it is just like it's not even talking about it so much as that's like the shared recognition of yeah. smiling, yeah. you know, being like, oh, yeah. yes, you know, yeah. and you know somebody else sees that and responds in kind, it's contagious, yeah. And there is a level. I mean, we certainly see it so much where people are kind of asking for affirmation with their wine taste, and where people guests kind of, or just yeah, certainly uh, yeah. guests, mm-hmm. but. There seems to be that human desire where you want to share the love with somebody else. And like, it's not really fulfilled until someone else says, yeah, I dig that too. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think sometimes that's the tricky part of services. You, you have to remember that sometimes people are looking for a shared smile, you know, more than anything else, more than sometimes the beverage. Right. You know they want I mean? affirmation more than anything. And we kind of look down on it, but then I realize how much I want that same affirmation, you know, in the stories that I tell. I'm like, oh yeah, it wasn't fun when I was just there by myself. I mean, it was, you know, could have been 1900 Margot. But <laughs> was, you know, when you can't share it with somebody who also likes, and I find that with a lot of collectors. I mean, they have tons of wine. Why do they go out in public? They go out in public because they want they to want talk to, share to somebody oh, yeah. about how, you oh, know, yeah. they could have drunk that bottle at home, but they wanted to be around others and have that shared recognition of how special it is. It's a human need, I think. It's a human need to be around others and to share experience. And I, you know, I mentioned communion and it is communion. It's like church. You know, it's like you, you're with someone and you're singing, you're singing the psalm, you're, you're, you're celebrating together. And that's what is part of, of humanity and, and wine allows us to do it. And really have fun with it. And it's great. And it's holy. So we talked a lot about things that you really enjoy mm-hmm. about the wine business. Are there certain things you're like, God, I wish the wine business would change a little bit? Because I've often seen that the wine business can change pretty dramatically. Like from what, say, used to be popular 10 years ago, what's popular now. Have you seen times where it's been like, boy, I didn't used to enjoy that. Now it seems so much better. Or have you had that desire where you're like, oh, man, I wish this part of the business would go away because that's my least favorite part of the business. You know, I don't know. I, I never really think about it like that. Um, all the little issues that come with working in this business, uh, for me, are, are little. And what the upside is of working in this business far outweighs. Sure. So the, it all gets like, it, swept it's like, away I don't in e- the wash. It, it really times. does. It really does. You know, and I'm here so much but I don't even notice it. Super interesting people who come into these restaurants and it it really blows my mind who we get to talk to and who we relate with and then who becomes your friend. I mean, in in New York City, at these restaurants on the Upper West Side. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. It it blows my mind. You know, from being a kid who's like, used to cut chicken breast for, for people. And now I'm hanging out and talking with the guy who used to run the New York Times. Right. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. And talking to those guys. I, and I, 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 you probably feel the same way. There's like a common thread of spirit 
you know, mm. of life that you you love life. You're you're curious. Well, they were looking for something like we look for something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's this. It's there as well. And when you see it, you know it. And there's a lot of guests. And what maybe maybe it's just the neighborhood or being New York City that have that. Mm. And boy, that jazzes the hell out of me. Yeah, I find that like the change of going to a different city isn't necessarily the amenities. It's not like they don't have right. taxis or they don't have good restaurants. It's that. It's, it's the people. The energy. Yeah. Like there's a vibe that mm-hmm. changes and you're like, oh, who turned down the volume? Right. You know? And everything else is cool. Like sometimes it's more beautiful. Right. You, know, you, have, a, you have a bigger house. Yeah. Right. You make more money. Yeah, everyone's nice. Right. And like the museums are great. And you uh-huh. know, it's not the specifics. It's the vibe is yep. different. And people aren't moving at the same pace. No and doubt. There's a, that level of curiosity or drive doesn't seem to be the no. same. I mean, it's kind of hard to replace. Once you get used to it and you almost take it for granted, when you go and you find it's not there, you're kind of like, huh. Right, and you, know. you forget about it. I mean, actually, in the biggest change is Italy, because you go and you completely go into the Italian vibe, which is wonderful and magical in its own way. Mm-hmm. But it's so different that, you know, it's hard to have the three-hour lunch, because you're like, wait, where's the deadline? Wait, where's the, where's the guy that's going to need something right now? Right. Stat that I have to get on. Right. And that's, and that's what's great, the the push to, to, to improve, to to, you know towards more goals and new york just by being new york is that invisible hand that pushes you yeah it keeps you going it's like no other place out yeah so what do you see happening in new york right now i mean in terms of the restaurant scene wine scene what are some of the trends that you've noticed or some of the places open up that you're excited about well i just i think new york is always changing and evolving and doing something different and and you know someone's always coming up thinking what what's next what do i have to do next Let's let's try this. Let's try that. There's endless experimentation in this town, and that's what makes it New York City. And I, I think you know some of the trends that I see in terms of wine are great. Mm-hmm. So you know, what would be an example? Muscadet. That's I always, I always say out. that. Yeah. yeah, it's like it is accepted. It's like Diana it, Ross. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 in the fabric of of restaurants. Remember now. when it wasn't? Yeah. Remember when it was like poo pooed as like, like cheap. Yeah. Cheap, you Why know, are you trying horse to push urine. that on me? Yeah, and it was like the magic was always there, and we just weren't we weren't recognizing it no. as a country. No, a while, definitely not. You know, yeah. I mean, for for a wine to express where it comes from so so clearly and to be priced so low, right? It's there's no other wine in the world that you get that. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. There's nothing like that where you're like you you smell it, you're like oh, that's Muscadet. Mm. Yeah, the saline crush, and it's delicious. Crushed shells, and it's nine bucks. Right? Yeah, and you're yeah. Like, geez, the God bless. Sometimes you give them ten just because you <laughs> feel like yeah, you dude, give a tip. On, take a ten. But I love that. I love seeing muscadet everywhere because you know in the summertime, and I'm sure yeah, you agree. That's all you want to drink. The weather gets warmer. Yeah, you want to eat oysters and drink muscadet, and you want to have crudo and drink muscadet, and that's just the way it goes. It's that's. Just- Special yeah. gift, no doubt. Oh, yeah. And that's like any, even if you had the most expensive dish with the most expensive truffle, a lot of times it won't, it won't be as good as the, the oyster and muscadet. Do you find that that recognition has kind of come to the fore in how people dine? Like yeah, oh, definitely. That like putting great next to great isn't necessarily a great experience. That yeah. you could have like 
the most wonderful, exquisite fish, and you could have the most wonderful, exquisite, full-bodied red wine, and maybe that experience together wouldn't be so lovely. Yes. But even though they were lauded in their own senses and their own fields as being wonderful, wonderful, do you think that people are moving away from what's great to what's interesting or what works well yes. together? No doubt. Because people are 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 evolving. This country is evolving in in food intelligence. And it doesn't have to, I mean, like in the 70s and 80s, it was all like, you know, uh, lobster thermidor and <laughs> pui fuise and, right, right. you know, all of that really luxurious, you know, if you're not having this, you're a peasant. And if you eat, if you eat roast chicken, I mean, you're, that's what they eat on the farm. Right. So it's more. And now uh, the, the hip restaurants are doing like, you exactly. know, roast chicken. Because oh, what matters now is what's good. Yeah, what tastes what good. What tastes what's, good. What's the flavor. Trust that. You know, it, it, you don't have to spend money on it. Well, it's like how they used to talk about the butcher's cut. You know, this is what he takes home to his family. Because right. he knows it's right. not that expensive, but ooh, so tasty. Well, that's what we used to do. I mean, we never ate filet mignon or strip steaks at home, ever. We always had like the sirloin. I didn't either, but my mom was macrobiotic. <laughs> okay. But we were, you Thanks, know. Thanks, mom. We never had that. Yeah, no. And I find the same kind of thing with wine. Like people are looking for that sweet spot that maybe doesn't cost a billion dollars. Yeah, that, sure. You know, still Especially delivers the, young the flavor. Yeah. Who, that's the, the generation that's pushing, pushing the, the envelope. So just your guess. Where do you think those people end up when they are older? I mean, what do you think? Good question. You know, what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to see like 80-year-olds being like, I knew this vintage of Muscadet when it was released and it used to only cost $9 and now it's 100 bucks. Boy, oh boy. That you know, is a good question. Get yelled at like we get yelled at now for prices of Bordeaux. <laughs> be like I remember when you could buy a yeah. piece for this price. <sighs> Boy, that is a great question. I I really have no clue. Yeah, I have no clue. I mean, it's the future because we don't know it, right? Right. I mean, do I think Muscadet will be as expensive as white burgundy? No, I don't think so. I really don't. Uh, I, I pr probably I would see more people buying domestic wines, and I think. California and Oregon will keep improving and keep making better wines because the, you know as you as you probably think as well the pendulum is shifting shifting back it's shifting back to you know the Layered land and, and right and how and picking the grapes at the right time and I think that will only reinforce the seriousness of California and Oregon as great wine regions but I mean, I think we all know that wine kind of draws you in and you don't necessarily know at the beginning how much you're going to like it at yeah. the end with your first experiences as wine. I mean, we've all had that first experience where like, it's sour. Yeah. And then later you're like, oh my God. Right. You know, right. flash forward 15 years right. and you're like, oh my God, right. this is the thing. But then, you know, when you first started, you're like, I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do people know if they have an inclination for this business or not? What would you say to the young sommelier who's like... Or just young waiter who's like, I don't know. I mean, do I love it enough? I mean, what would you say to that guy? Well, you need to be curious. You know, you need to ask questions. You know, nothing gets revealed immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, you it's life. You have to work at it. You know, but if you see a kind of a, a shimmer among, you know, what you're doing, follow that. Mm -hmm. You know, or have a mentor. Mm -hmm. Or have someone that you trust and someone that you look up to. And, you know, ask them questions and, and you know, just, just try. That's, that's, that's how you figure it out. You need to really push. You can't just let it come to you. Do you see sometimes, I think sometimes people think of like uh, the restaurant business as like the island that they're in where really it's like you're an island with 
called Manhattan and there's yeah. all these relationships and everyone kind of helps each other out and there's, you know, a pretty tight knit community. Uh-huh. You know, everybody looks, works at their own little restaurant and doesn't see each other every day. Do you find that that kind of plays a role in some of how you approach the scene? Who, me particularly? Yeah. As, as an island or, or yeah. as a community? Yeah. Do you see it as a community? Do you think, uh, basically I'm asking like for a young sommelier, uh-huh. should he think to himself like, I need to forge relationships that are strong with these other people around town or I I I don't know. I mean, I guess so. I I just I never thought of it that way to be honest with mm-hmm. you. I I can only speak about what I've done and I just I like to be around people that I like. Yeah. And that's so who it. are some of those people you? in town? Well, I mean, of you course. Know, I, if you would get your <laughs> hand off my knee now, that would make me a lot more comfortable. But no, seriously. Uh, like a guy like Aldo Sam? Yeah, he's like, what a stud. I love the, that guy. He brings the real. He's the he's such he's a the non-spoof. Yeah, he's he is the real deal, a good soul. Um who else? You know, Ashley Santoro from uh Sure. Yeah, from um Casamono. Sure. She is just she's great. Pascaline, she's great. She's a lot of fun. Yeah, people who who love what they do and people who you know, they're they're just it's 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 all up front. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and they like wine and they're working because they enjoy it. And that's that. And that's that's the kind of people you should surround yourself with. Do you see that is kind of more of a common theme with sommeliers today? I feel like the stereotype, whether it's true or not, is like, oh, this guy's cold and removed and he's an old guy and he's making fun of me. And that's mm-hmm. like the old school sommelier idea. I don't know. I've actually never met one of these people, but I read about him a lot. Right. I think it's like some kind of straw man where people are like, I know you don't like sommeliers because they're cold and and mean and will you know ridicule you in front of your guests. Like right. I, I read that story a lot. Right. But you know, today's I, young sommeliers, you see it's different. Do you? think that guy ever existed i mean well yeah i think that's the old european you know the french model of sommelier yeah but i mean have you encountered i've never met that guy in europe for sure oh in europe oh yeah 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 yeah. but here no not really and uh no most of the sommeliers are eager and 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 excited about their wine list that i meet here in in the city and in and in this country so now i don't think that applies anymore and you know the som the sommelier position is a privileged position in a restaurant, and we were talking about this the other day. And uh, but you know one needs to remember as a sommelier, the restaurant will function easier without you than without a busboy. Yeah, I find that that's like the key point that a lot of people yeah, seem to have missed. forgotten. Yeah, you know. Then yeah. I think every good chef knows that he needs that dishwasher to wash those dishes because exactly. otherwise the whole train. Right. I mean, do Comes the experiment sometime and see what happens. Yep. You know. Yep. And and I always remember that, and you know that's why you help the the servers on the floor. You know, you help you help clear tables, and you you help bring dishes downstairs, and and you do all that type of that type of work because number one, we're working towards the same goal and uh, we have it a little bit more easy than the others. And I, I just always never, I, I try not to forget that because that is, that keeps me humble. Well, I mean, also if you help him, he can help you back. I mean, right. cause you can't be everywhere it's at a once. Community so and, if yeah. you're helping him to have more free time, then he helps you to have more right. free time. And right. I mean, I think that's what, fine dining service is really about you know yeah it's not about Teamwork. like i'll just show up whenever and help whenever i feel like doing it you know right. you got to be there for the guest need right yep yeah mike i have a lot of respect for you i appreciate you taking the time i know you're super busy um my pleasure it brother. was always good to taste with you and i always learn something new thank you very thank much. you buddy thanks for having me this is fun mike magical of uh balloon suit and bar blue uh one of the real 
charismatic and interesting and intelligent and well-spoken and just insightful uh, so many as you can encounter in the business. And uh, once again, thanks, Mike. Thank you, dude. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Skella has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.